I don't know how much you're aware, I think most of you are, of how many missionaries our church supports. And I want to say a big thanks to all of you for being so faithful because really, if I can't get a visa or leave my job for a few months or forever and go and reach unreached people, you and I get to do that by the sheer fact that we get to do that with our financing. And I know sometimes we see videos and testimonies of missionaries, and I want you to know that you are actively involved with your giving. You partner with them and with God for the good news of Jesus Christ to be spread literally throughout the whole world. So thank you. Good morning, church. Good morning, online, online church as well. We are glad that you came this morning here or you turned on your computers and you wanted to decided to worship the Lord with us. I have a few things I'm going to get ready here. And um, we just want to tell you we love you. Uh, we wish if it is an opportunity and a possibility for you to come and visit us in, uh, in person. I was talking to a dear brother yesterday and he said the same thing, Mario. Watching at home is not the same. You have to be in the building. You have to be with brothers and sisters to fellowship and to worship the Lord together in person. And that is so true. I pray that those of you who have the opportunity to come in and worship with us in person, that you would make a commitment and a choice. And you will see just the atmosphere, the love of the people, and the fact that we can get together as a body of Christ and sing praises to Him. Amen? We have started a few weeks ago a new series is called Bible Hacks and before we go into the I think it is the last Bible hack uh, for this series I wanted to mention something that is very dear to my heart to all of us I believe and I hope and Pastor Jake had made it a point because I remember a few Sundays ago he did speak on that subject and that subject is Israel the Bible has a lot to say about our attitude towards Israel and how we should pray for Israel. And you all are aware, I hope, of what's happening. And so I am echoing the words of our lead pastor that we stand with Israel. Amen. 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 We stand with Israel. That doesn't mean that we have no compassion for the people of Palestine, but we stand firm against the terrorist attack of Hamas against Israel. And the Bible does say that we need to pray for Israel. My heart is saddened by the fact that there's this hockeystick spike of anti-Semitism, not just in our country, but throughout the whole world. And I'm not surprised because the enemy is after the people of God and after Israel because God still has a plan with the people of Israel. You know the atrocities, I'm not going to go through all of them, they're pretty gore and graphic, but it, it involves babies and children and women. And uh, in Psalm 122.6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And so we're going to pray for the peace of Israel. In Genesis 12.1-3, there is a promise. And the promise says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, who is the father of our faith, and also the Jewish nation, and they consider Abraham their father, it says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great name, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, 
and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you all of the families on earth shall be blessed. Do you want to be blessed this morning? The Bible says we need to bless Israel. And by doing that, God has promised that he will bless us. Let's all join together in prayer. Father God, we lift up the nation of Israel right now in this very moment. We lift up the nation of Israel. We bless them with peace. We bless them with protection, Lord. And we know that you will surround them with a hedge of protection. And Lord, we know that in this moment you fight for them. Father God, we lift them up and we pray, Lord Jesus, that this war will end soon with the victory on the side of Israel. Lord, we stand with them and we know that when we pray, you move on behalf of our prayers. We bless the nation, we bless the government, we bless the people of Israel, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that there will be no more casualties. Lord, I pray that you come down with your mighty hand and you just sweep Hamas and you just remove this evil and that, re- and that Israel will be able to enjoy peace and prosperity again. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. So hacks, a Bible hack. What is a Bible hack? What is, what is a hack to begin with? I didn't say what is a hack, okay? Just, just making sure. Um, but we're going to go through two definitions um, and um, the first one, uh, what is a hack, is a term that has evolved, but it means to write a code to solve a problem, an intentional fix, or even to gain an access. So we're talking about how to hack different things, so how to find, how to gain access, maybe how to find a fast resolution, like how to gain access into that. When somebody says, I hacked your computer, what does that mean? I gain access to your computer, correct? And what is the definition? What is the temptation? I think we all know what that is. Webster says it is a cause or occasion of enticement. And then Oxford says the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. I like the fact that the word unwise is there. Because sometimes when I fall into temptation, I'm just stupid. That's what it is, right? I go and go like, what was I thinking? A lot of times the decision I make when I fall into temptation is I've just been unwise. I I did something silly, something stupid. And then in retrospect, I go back and I'm like, I wasn't thinking clearly. I think that's what happened. And so we are talking about how to gain access to the point where we can overcome temptation and we can find a solution to this problem. It is a problem for each and every one of us. I'm not going to ask you if you fall into temptation because I don't want somebody not to raise their hand and then lie because I know that all of us do it, right, in different areas. But I just saved you from falling into sin by not participating, right, because we all do. Maybe we struggle with different things, but the struggle of temptation and the fact that I'm susceptible to a certain sins and I can fall into the trap of the enemy it is across the board for each and every one of us. Is there a hack? Like that, that sounds like it, it's just so difficult, right? It's so difficult sometimes to overcome temptations, especially when we struggle in some area. But we're going to look two big, temp- big uh, stories and then we'll unpack them. And the first one, I would like for you, if you can, follow along. Some of the verses will be in the back, but not all of them. One of them will be Genesis 3. Verses 1 through 7, and we all know the story, and I will read slowly. You can find it uh, quickly. 
Genesis at the end of your Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. And um, so go, go there. Go there. Now I'm going to find out who's reading that Bible. Uh, and so <laughs> we are ready to go. Genesis 3. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And the Lord God had made his, uh, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that it is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of your, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloth. All right. Very interesting story. Everyone knows it. And what I notice here in verse 1 of this chapter, uh, where the serpent says um, he was really crafty, and then he says, did God really say? We know what that means, right? The devil put a doubt in Eve's mind because it was, a, it was a question, it wasn't really a question for him to know because he knew it was a question with which he put a doubt in the mind of the woman. Did God really say? So one of the problems we have with temptation is doubt. Doubt in what? Well, we see very interestingly in 2 Corinthians, we're going to go through a lot of verses today, 11.3, so I'll give you a chance to go there. Second uh, Corinthians is at the end of the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. So go there. <laughs> um, so Second Corinthians 11.3. Uh, it is a very interesting unfolding kind of what happened with Eve at this moment. But I'm afraid, has Paul, says Paul, that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Did you notice what word Paul used for the fall of how Eve fell for the schemes of the devil? It says that I am afraid or I'm worried as the serpent deceived Eve. What does it mean to be deceived? It means that you don't have at your disposal the whole knowledge. You don't understand what's happening and you are deceived by something. It seems to me like Adam didn't do a good job of really explaining what's happening because that word is there on purpose. You see, Eve was deceived. Adam fell in sin on purpose in terms of he knew, he heard God saying something. But what Paul is saying is that when we fall into the traps of a heresy, for example, we have been deceived because we don't know exactly how firm to stand on the Word of God. So you see, the doubt came because Eve was deceived, 
And Eve was deceived because it seems like he didn't know, he didn't exactly understand what was happening or what God promised to both of them. That's why this word is very important for us to understand. She was deceived. Verse 5, we see also another interesting part. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What the devil is telling Eve is God is holding out on you. Do you understand that God doesn't want you to have this knowledge? He doesn't want your eyes to be open. So number one, he puts doubt. Number two, we are deceived because of lack of understanding. Number three, God is holding out on you. How many of you have felt, especially I think young people, I, I used to be a youth pastor decades ago, and I remember them feeling like God doesn't want me to have fun. God doesn't want me to be with my friends. God is holding out. God is this old guy who's just, you know, a, a party pooper, you know. He's, God is holding out on you. This is what he wanted Eve to believe. God is holding out on her. And then in verses 4 and 5, it says that then he knows, God knows that you would be like him. You would be like God. The desire to be like God. The desire to be something that we are not. The desire where this pride raises up in us. And we are the ones that want to make the decisions for our lives. The pride of life, right? The lust of the eyes. We saw that already. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. And so these are some of the things that we see in this story. But we can also remember a very well-known story of in the life of Jesus where he was tempted in the wilderness. And we're going to go to the uh, last book of the Bible. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> now you see how I'm confusing you now? Uh, Matthew 4. Uh, and that would be verses 1 through 11. So let's go there and see how Jesus handled temptation. So Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We know that. Did you catch what it says? How did Jesus end up in the wilderness? This is going to be a little bit of a... Asterix, just, just a little add on there. Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Spirit. He didn't just end up there by surprise. He didn't just take the wrong turn. It says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. It wasn't fun, but it's interesting that the Spirit of God led him there. It wasn't the will of God that Jesus would go and be tempted. And there was something happening after that. And the reason why that is important is because a lot of us feel that we're in the wilderness and we don't understand that sometimes it is God who is leading us to this season of our lives. You feel probably, you probably feel like, what am I doing here? Um, is this a test, God? Did I do this to myself? I feel alone. This is really hard. I'm going through a very hard time. When you feel that you're down and out, when you feel that you've been demoted, has that happened to you? You're in a place and you feel demoted. You feel like instead of going up, this is a really big, set, uh, a really big setback. Have you been there? Have you been in places where you feel like this is a really setback? And, and speaking of setback, I absolutely love what a pastor once said. He said that when you feel like this is a setback, he says God is in the business of making your setback a setup. 
right? Because what happened is we see later that right after the wilderness, Jesus was launched into his ministry. So this, set, this setback was Jesus' setup because he had to pass the test in order to go into ministry. Do you see what's happening? So Jesus was led by the Spirit because this was his setback to be the launch, to be the setup for what God had next. And I want to encourage you this morning that when you feel down and out, when you feel depressed, when you feel it's hot and sticky, when you feel you're demoted, when you feel that this is a step back, when you feel that this is a setback, this is a setup. You just need to be faithful. You just need to trust the Lord. You need to stand firm on His promises because what is going to happen next after you pass the test is going to be amazing. That's when the power came. That's when the anointing came. It says Jesus came out. Do you remember what I'm going then? And he was full of what? Of power. So the setback was the setup for the power that was going to come on top of Jesus, going and healing the sick and performing miracles and setting people free. So your wilderness needs to be embraced by you. If we have the spiritual eyes to understand that a lot of times God is bringing us into these seasons and that when we feel like it's a setback, say, God, this is a setup. I don't know what it is, but with the eyes of faith, I'm going to embrace this and I'm just going to be faithful to the end. And when you release, when you open the door, I cannot wait what you have for me next. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that God is in control. And I just wanted to encourage you with this little negative truth. That if you are in that season, if you are in the wilderness, don't worry, God is with you and he's up to something. Amen? Amen. So let's continue with the rest of those verses. Verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. It's interesting now the devil is misquoting scripture. He says, For it is written. Oh, thank you, Mr. Theologian. And he will command his angels concerning you and Oh, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Amen. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. To him. The same story in Luke. It's, it's, it's a little something extra. I wanted to make a point. In Luke 4.13, we're cutting the last verse I read. It says, And when the devil had Ended every temptation, he departed from him, from him until an opportune time. So you see, the devil didn't leave forever. He left for an opportune time to come back. And I want to tell you that when we are tempted, the devil will leave for some time, 
but he'll wait for the opportunity to come back. He is very persistent. Amen? He is very, very persistent. And so what we see in this story, the first temptation, turning the stones into bread, it is a physical temptation. It is a temptation that goes straight into our body, to our flesh. But it is also a temptation for provision. Because what the devil was telling Jesus is, come on, you're hungry now. You have the power. You are the son of God. You can turn these, these rocks, these stones into bread. And what he was telling him is basically, find a shortcut. You don't have to wait for this whole thing like 40 days. Are you crazy? You can provide for yourself right now. You can eat right now. That which you're craving, you don't have to wait for it. You can get it now. It's called instant gratification. So you see, the temptation wasn't just for the food itself. If it was for where am I going to put my trust as my provision? Am I going to believe God for his provision and his timing? Or am I going to try to do it myself? Number two. And he says, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And then he misquotes scripture because this is what the devil does. He is so good at misquoting scripture. And he says, you know, and there is a promise. And the angels will catch you and they will lift you. So the, the story, the idea was that the devil says, you know, Jesus, uh, I know why you're here. And, and I know about the ministry. And you need to reveal yourself to the world that you are the son of God. This is how we're going to do it, okay? You and me, partner. So now you're going to jump down, okay? And you know because you're the son of God, you can call and angels will come pick you up, okay? And then because this is the temple, then when you go to the temple and jump, and they're going to lift, it's going to be like, oh, and all of the people will see you levitating. And they will probably see the angels, but even if they don't see them, they will see that you'll be like, whoop, and you didn't really come down, you didn't hurt yourself, you are elevated, you are levitating, and they're going to be like, wow, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah we've been waiting. What an entrance. You're going to enter your ministry with a punch. This was the temptation. And so what is Jesus saying? Hey, nope, this sounds great. I can make a grand entrance. It's going to be awesome. But it is written, you should not test the Lord your God. Didn't it sound logical? I mean, the devil was quoting scripture, but he was quoting it and interpreting it the wrong way. And so the temptation really in this moment was also about a shortcut. You don't have to go through the prayer and um, inviting the disciples one by one. You don't have to spend three years with them and, and revealing yourself slowly and they can see your power and your might and they can slowly understand the scales from their eyes will fall down and one day they're going to see and realize, oh my God, this person, Jesus, that we spent three years with him, he really is the son of God. No, all of that, you, this is going to be a shortcut right now, right at this moment. It's wonderful. And Jesus says no. Because you see, temptation is every time an attempt for a shortcut. That I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it right here and right now. It is also a temptation to reveal his divinity. It is a temptation about his identity. Don't we live in times where there is a big crisis with identity of people? You know what I'm talking about? Identity. I'm going to find an identity and I'm going to find my identity and I'm going to find a shortcut of I'm not who God says I am. I'm going to make the decision. And I'm going to make a grand entrance. I'm going to have everybody see me for who I think I am. But Jesus held the power that he had because he knew that his identity is to come and to be completely yielding to the will of the Father 
and that he would be obedient even to the point of death. That was his true identity. And so he stood up on who he knows he is, and he knew that he didn't have to prove anything to anybody. And so he said no. And then the last one was about revealing everything that Jesus could have. This is the temptation of materialism, that I can have all of this. It is a temptation of authority. It is a temptation of idol worship because he was tempted to worship Satan. And as an exchange, he would get all of these things. Jesus knew that they are in his hand already as it is. It just wasn't the time for all of authority to be given unto him. Remember one day when he met the disciples and he gave them the, the, the great commission? He said, all authority on heaven and earth was given to me. So what devil is telling him here actually happened about three years later. Jesus had to wait for it. And one day, he, isn't that awesome? He goes, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I don't know if he remembered or not, but he knew that this day is going to happen. But devil, it's, this day is not today. I'm going to go through the cross in order to get what you're giving me. First of all, the, the devil had no authority to give him that in the first place. But it was going to be a shortcut of three years. And guess what? If, if, if uh, Jesus had given up to that, he would have had a shortcut to go around the cross. And then, no hope for us. No salvation for us. Jesus kept the course. So what, is, what are the temptations aiming at? Well, as we discovered already, they aim to put doubt in our minds, in our hearts. Temptations aim at our flesh. They tempt us to have an alternative, a different type of a source for provision. They tempt us to get what we want. They tempt us to be disobedient, to be rebellious. They tempt us to find a shortcut and use that shortcut. Temptations aim at our sinful nature. They aim at our flesh. And I was thinking about the flesh and what's happening. Because you see, when you're talking about the flesh, the way I imagine this is if the devil is sending me all of these thoughts and he's like, oh, Mario, you should do this, you should do that. It's almost like the devil has a transmitter and my flesh is the receiver, Right? And my sinful flesh resonates with the temptations. Have I, have I ever been to a place in your life where maybe you're tempted, maybe you're in the mall, whatever, and you're thinking in your head, so you're not speaking, and all of a sudden exactly what you struggle with or exactly what you think or exactly what you're tempted to do or struggle to overcome, that temptation comes in that very moment. You're thinking like, man, I think the devil reads my mind. Right? I don't think that the devil can read your mind, then he's going to be her. But you know why that happens? You see, the devil has been around for, depending on how you count, count it, about 6,000 years or more. And so from the time of Adam and Eve, Satan has dealt with people. And so when I stand, he has observed my whole life. And the devil knows every time I open my eyes, every time I turn my neck, Every time I lick my lips, every time I do this, sorry, I don't know what's called in English, uh, or whatever else I do, or if I do this, or if I crack my knuckles, whatever I do, the devil knows. He knows each and every one of us. He knows your inclinations. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your predispositions. He knows everything about each and every one of us. 
Isn't he crafty? And so the moment, the moment you react in any way, the moment you just open your eyes just a little bit, he knows how to get you. And what that means is I have a, some kind of a sensor. It's called the flesh that resonates with those temptations. It's like I have a phone and somebody wants to call me. And so my phone is the receiver that receives that signal and I have the decision to either answer the phone or to put it in my pocket. That's how temptation works. The temptation also works speaking of flesh. I have a friend here. This is my dog. It's called Roxy. Hello, Roxy. And what happens with Roxy is this. If I want to tempt Roxy, if I want to teach him a trick, what I would do with my little beautiful dog is I would get a nice, beautiful Hillshire sausage. Oh, look at that thing. Now, I'm not going to open it because I will be attacked by at least three, four men on stage right away. Okay? So I'm not going to unpack it. But if I go and say, hey, Roxy, look at this, what do you think the dog is going to do? It's going to bark. It's going to jump right on top of me. It's going to follow me everywhere I go. Then uh, the next day, no, the next week, I go, even if I'm not holding anything, it's going to start jumping because it will remember that I have this wonderful thing. Because you see, this is the transmitter, and he know, his nose, his dog nature is the receiver. This is how the devil is with every one of us. It dangles something in front of us. It could be shopping for someone. It could be alcoholism. It could be substance abuse. It could be pornography, it could be cheating, it could be whatever we struggle with, right? And, and, and the devil knows and he can dangle that in front of us because he knows that our sinful nature would resonate. So what is the hack? Is there a salvation for us? Paul says, oh, woe me, right? I have the spirit is willing, I have the desire, but my, my flesh is weak. But I think those are wonderful examples of how we attempt it. Because the devil truly knows us so very well. The Bible says, number one, we need to stay away from temptations. God has given us a neck. God has given us feet. And we should not get ourselves in compromising situations. I know it sounds very easy and very basic, but a lot of times we don't even do that. Let me give you a scripture. Psalm 101.3 says this, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. That is the new international version. But listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. Again, Psalm 101.3. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. Amen. David, who, who had the heart of God, who was a friend of God, and who worshipped the Lord and, and, and found pleasure in spending time with the Lord, says, I will not look in anything that is vile. What he was saying is, I don't want to be exposed to anything that can tempt me. So guess what? If you struggle with alcoholism, don't go to a bar. Don't go, don't go with your buddies and think that you're strong enough and you can just spend there. Oh, I'm going to be with them because I want to share the gospel. Yeah, right. Right? Isn't that? I know, I know it's simple, but we need to stay from what tempts us. 
I need to go away from that transmitter that has this strong signal and is going to make me weak in the knees and is going to make me compromise. It's simple, but a lot of things in life are simple. Stay away from those temptations. Number two, know the word. We know what Jesus did every time he answered, but it is written, but it is written, but it is written. If we know the word, we will not be deceived because deception comes as a result of lack of knowledge. I'm not elevating lack of knowledge versus living it out, but this is the foundation. We need to know what the word of God says. It is scary about how um, illiterate, biblically literate, our country has become. Um, when I talk about Bible knowledge, it, it is really scary. I remember I went to a store that sells um, apparel. I get my jeans from there. It's called Tilly's. We were in Illinois. And uh, I go in there, and I have the app, and every time you buy something, you give them your email, and then you rack up points, and then you can redeem them, you know, stuff like that. So I had like three pair of jeans, and this young girl, God bless her heart, he was in her 20s. She's asking me, you know, what is your email? Do you, are you a member? I said, yes, I am. And I'm giving her my email. Uh, it starts with Skate for Jesus, uh, for, and then Jesus. And she looks at me. And I told her the email again, and she looks at me, and I said, can I help you? And she turned red, and she says, excuse me, sir, how do you spell Jesus? Seriously. You're talking about people who, it's not that they don't know the story of the fall or the story of the flood. People don't even know how to spell the name Jesus. And then we wonder why people are so deceived nowadays. That they, it's not that they have lack of knowledge, they have no knowledge. Friends, we live in a society that people don't even know how to spell the name of Jesus. And I think that is really scary. But here is something else. Some time ago, somebody was uh, asking a dog breeder who sold dogs. I swear to God, I don't know the person. Okay, I don't want to be like have uh, Peter or someone come chase me. This is a story I heard. He was asked, so when you breed dogs and he would sell them for illegal dog fights, which dog wins? Is it, does it matter the breed? And yeah, the breed matters. The size, uh, not so much depending. I mean, you know, talking about a, you know, a, a great Dane and a little you know, chihuahua or whatever. But for the most part, that's not what it plays out. And so he was asked, so, so which dog you know, wins? He said, when I sell the dogs, and depending on how the new owners treat them, the dog that is fed better wins. And I thought that was interesting. The dog that is fed better usually wins. Why am I saying this? Ephesians 3, 14 and 16. We're going to go there quickly. And look what it says in Ephesians 3. So verses 14 through 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before my father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. You see, I have two dogs in a way in me. I have two persons. I have my flesh and I have my inner spiritual man. And what Paul says is that I need to strengthen the inner man because this is how I'm going to overcome the world and this is how I'm going to overcome temptation. 
So the question for me, Mario, is which man, which dog you're going to feed better? And what I realize is, living in this world, if I get into the Word, if I praise God, if I study, if I get close to Him, if I feed with spiritual food, my inner man is going to become stronger and is going to be able to win over my flesh. But it's either one or the other. And this is why Paul says that we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Now the question is, in the world that we live in, which one do we strengthen better? And it's a scary, scary proposition, right? Because I am exposed to billboards and commercials and things of this world all day long. I'm bombarded by ads, whether it is on TV, whether it is in the radio or my phone, and anywhere you go. And that is junk food that gets into my flesh. And I need to counter that, and I need to be strong in the Lord, and I need to strengthen constantly the inner man in order to be able to win this battle. So I want you to think and ask yourself, when I spend my days, when I walk through life and when I get up in the morning and I get ready to go to work, how do I spend my week? Do I find time to strengthen the inner man? The interesting thing that I discovered was I thought that, you see, if I really suppress my flesh, and you know people like um, in, in different times in the past, um, monks, uh, you know, they used to beat up their bodies and they used to whip themselves and weaken the flesh. What I realize is the problem is not just the flesh that comes to a temptation. And I'll prove it to you why. Because if you remember back in Genesis, what happened with Eve, she was tempted before the fall. So she didn't have a sinful nature. And yet something within inside of her resonated. When Jesus went to the wilderness, the devil did not aim at his sinful nature and his flesh because Jesus, there was never sin found in him. Have you ever thought about it? I think that's really interesting. Because So all of a sudden I'm finding myself in a situation where I think I found a hack. And the hack is the flesh. And then I go back into scripture and I realize that there's many examples, again, with Eve and with Jesus, that is maybe not just the flesh. Because even if Jesus, who lived a sinless life, was tempted, again, he did not cave in. But temptation means that the devil believed that he can persuade him, whether it is by deception or, or scratching his ego or whatever it was, that Jesus would cave in. And Eve did, of course, she's not perfect. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I'm back to square one. Because it seems from Scripture that it's maybe not necessarily the flesh. I don't want you to be depressed. There is, there is solution. A few more minutes. And then I'm thinking about this. Let's go, I already alluded to this, to Matthew 28. So this is the end of Matthew, and we're going to read verses 16 to 20. So Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is the time where Jesus chose not to take the shortcut, but to go through raising the disciples, and he chose to go to the cross because he prayed and he felt the Lord was telling him that there is no other way that this cup will not pass him. And so he goes to the cross, 
And here he is, the one we talked about earlier. Now Jesus passed the test. He chose not to take the shortcut. And he is the glorified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, there you go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He got all of that without the help of the devil. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I want to point out here is at one point, this is what, what is this called? We know that, right? It's the Great Commission. Can I just say something? This is not the Great Suggestion. This is the Great Commission. Jesus commanded each and every one of us that we need to go and make disciples. This is the great commission. It's not a suggestion. Jesus said it in the form of a command because he said, go therefore. Why is it therefore? Because he says, all authority has been given to me. And because I have the authority, therefore, because of that reason, you go and make disciples because I have the authority and that authority I'm giving to you. Therefore, because I have the, the, that authority, you can go and make disciples. But it is a command. And in the middle of that commandment, when he says, go and make disciples, he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are, being, what, what are we being taught to become disciples? What is a baptism? Paul explains baptism in a very interesting way because in Romans 6.4, Paul says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. And in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Jesus says we need to go and teach them to make, to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we find out that baptism is nothing else than dying to myself. Because when I go into the water, I die for myself. And when I come out of the water, I symbolize that I'm raised with Jesus. And now I don't longer live for myself. I live for Jesus. And you're like, Mario, what does that have to do with temptation? I'll get there. But the Great Commission is about making disciples. You see, what we don't understand is God did not command us to make believers. God commanded us to make disciples. I remember I was, I, I, I'm, a, I'm still a friend with a buddy of mine. We, we went together to seminary together. And then he was a worship pastor for a long time in the church of 400 plus people. And he told me, Mario, our church grows. But you know what we are known? And he said it like bragging. Our church is known as a church of many spiritual babies because we have so many cowards. And I'm looking at him and I feel so, he said, like, they don't really know a lot of the Bible. They, they're just new believers. And I know him. We, we spent a lot of times together before we moved to Wisconsin. So I'm talking about five, six years or more. And I found out that there's almost no Bible studies. There's, no, there's almost no discipleship in the church. And he said it with pride that they're winning souls. And I'm thinking, no, brother, you're not. You're not fulfilling the Great Commission because the Great Commission is about making disciples, not making believers. What is the difference between the disciple and a believer? You see, if we are just students, this is another word that we use for the students of Jesus, you can be a straight-A student and you can be an F student and you're both students. No difference. But you see, when you're a disciple, you follow Jesus. And what does to be a disciple of Jesus means? Now let's go back to it. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So can I, 
Can I substitute it a little bit? I don't know if you have it on, on screen or not. But the word baptizing, can we substitute it for grave? Can we do that? Because that's what it is. So what Jesus is saying is our authority has been given on earth and on heaven and on earth. And I'm giving you a command. This is not a suggestion. You've got to go make disciples. And how do you make disciples? By teaching them, baptizing, to die for themselves. That's what it is. You see, the Great Commission is about teaching people to daily die for themselves so they can live for Jesus and then they can follow everything, not a little bit, everything that he commanded. But you see, the beginning point of discipleship is we understanding that we need to die for ourselves, not just for our flesh. We need to die for ourselves. When I was in Bible college, I worked for a company God has such an amazing sense of humor. It's called Earth's Luggage. They were actually a Jewish family. So the funny part is the Jewish family paid for my Bible education. You know, go, go ahead and figure it out. You know, but they were amazing. I thank God for them because they accommodated me. They gave me the hours that I need to work after I give them my schedule for Bible school. They were amazing. I just, I love them to death. And one day when I was still kind of new, um, we sold luggage, by the way. This, this person comes, I think it was a guy with a the, with the suitcase, and he says, oh, this is a great price. I'm going to buy this. And I look at the brand. I think it was Briggs & Riley, which is a very expensive brand. And the, the price tag was, like, really low. And I look at the price, and, he, and somebody mislabeled it. Somebody put the price tag of a different brand. So I'm starting to tell him that we cannot sell it. And, and he's turning. He's going to get mad at me. And the store manager grabbed me, pulled me aside. I'm a still new guy. And he says, we have to sell it to him for that price. And I'm like, what? You're going to say, Mario? So we sold it. He was happy. He left. He pulls me back and says, Mario, it is our fault that we put the wrong label. But we cannot, honor, we cannot not honor it. And I said, why? And he said, this is called bait and switch, and it's illegal. If you put the price, you have to take the losses, and you have to sell it. It's called, and he said, this is, this is a, a federal law. It's against the law. You cannot do that. So we lost money, but it's called bait and switch. The reason why I'm giving you bait and switch is because nowadays in our churches, we have been given one of the biggest bait and switch in the world. Number one bait and switch is every time you attempt it. Because ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. Did Eve ever expect what we're going through now that it will be a direct result of the fall? It's going to be okay, Eve. You're going to be just like God, and you're going to live forever. Perversions, right? Abortions, murder. Anything you can imagine, all the evil in the world, Satanism, sacrifice of, of people, and on and on and on. Did you ever expect, did you ever realize that grabbing that fruit, it wasn't an apple, would lead to all of this? It was the biggest bait and switch in the history of the world. But you see, in our churches, we get that bait and switch all the time. I just talked to you about discipleship. You know what, what we teach, I'm not saying here, but in our churches all across the world, and a lot in, in America, we teach them about the American dream, and we tell them stuff like that. God wants you to be happy. Can you show me where in the Bible it says that God wants you to be happy? God wants you to have joy, but he did not promise you to be happy. Rejoice, I say, Paul, and rejoice again. God has promised us we have joy. Joy and happiness are very different. And we say things like God wants to fulfill your dreams. That's not true. God wants you to die for your dreams, and God wants to reveal to you the plans he has for your life. And he wants you to tag along with God and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Amen? You see the big, the, the big, the big bait and switch? 
This is what we say, God, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to fulfill. Well, this is what I want from God. You see, we have, and I think Pastor Jake said it a few times before also, we're minimizing God, we're using God as, a, as, a, a, as an add-on. So every time I want to be happy, every time I want something, I remember God. But what are the other times when I need to die for myself and live for him? Because, you see, the bait and switches in the whole idea that the actual Great Commission is that I need to die for myself. I need to go into that water, die for my ambitions, die for my desires. I need to come up and understand that I need to follow Jesus. Would you and I be willing to follow Jesus even if it means that we have to die for him? Right? Why is that important? Well, here it is. Luke 9.23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and, make up, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 2.20. You know this wonderful verse. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in this flesh, flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, when I have my phone and somebody's calling me and maybe I get temptations, maybe I get pictures or whatever, you know what is the best way to take care of those temptations? To turn the phone off. I'm going to make the phone die. You see where I'm going with this? No more problem. Here's my Roxy. And so I'm dangling this beautiful sausage in front of him. And he goes, ruff, ruff, ruff. But imagine one day, sorry, Roxy, imagine one day Roxy is dead. Is anything going to happen? No. Why? Roxy, come on, man. You love, I got you your favorite brand. Come on, man. Why, why is Roxy not responding? Because he's dead. Because he's dead. You see where I'm going with this? The actual hack for temptation, the biggest hack for temptation It is that bait and switch we have all been told. Because the biggest hack for temptation is me realizing that if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to die every day for myself. Not just for my sinful flesh, but I need to die for my desires. I need to die for my ambitions. I need to die for my dreams. And so when the temptation comes, if I'm dead, the devil comes. Come on, Mario. And I'm like, you see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? The problem is we do not want to do that. We haven't been told, we haven't been taught that discipleship is the daily picking up of the cross. And the discipleship of Jesus, following Jesus means that I need to die for myself daily. And when my, and, and when my pride and my flesh and my ambitions rise their ugly heads every single day, I need to get up in the morning and say, Jesus, today I live for you. I'm dying for myself. I want to be small so that you can be lifted up. Today, I remember that 25 years ago in the Black Sea back in Bulgaria, I dunked myself in the water. It was a missionary from Sweden who baptized me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, in, in the, in the Holy Spirit. And I need to remind myself that the old Mario is in the Black Sea. That's why they call it Black Sea. All my sins are there. And then I want to raise from the waters. But you see, this is not a downer. I'm not trying to depress you. Because when I realize that I need to die and live for Jesus, I'm actually happier. I'm actually happy because I realize I need to get rid of myself. I need to get rid of myself. Even, you know, Pastor Jake said that a lot of times we blame the devil for too much. And he's right. I get in the way of myself. And when I'm tired of being tired of being tempted, I need to remind myself that Jesus commanded me to die. And so when I'm like this, 
The devil can come and dangle anything and say, sorry, Mario doesn't live here anymore. The door opens and Jesus goes, how can I help you? Because he is the master of my house, right? He's the, <laughs> he's the master of my house. You see, let us be happy about that. What a joy. What an honor that Jesus invites us and says, can I live with you? Can I live inside of you? And if you trust me that I'm good God, and we say this all the time, God is good all the time, and what do you say all the time? God is good or whatever, I think I butchered it. But God is good, right? If I believe that God is good, I need to welcome him in every area of my life. Because when I do that, I allow him to reign. We said this many times, that Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. So if you want to know the hack of temptation, go back to 28 of Matthew and read the great commandments where Jesus commanded us that being a disciple, not a new believer, but becoming a disciple is the daily decision that I'm going to be small and I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to die for myself. And so when the devil comes, he can dangle whatever he wants and I'm just not there. Right? That is the hack. That is the hack. You and I can take whatever tricks we want. You and I can write whatever journals we want. You and I can call anybody. I have nothing against holding yourself accountable. That is actually beautiful and it's healthy. But if we do not get a hold of this hack that is all about dying for myself and living for Jesus, everything else would be vain. That is the shortcut. That is the hack. That is the command of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to invite if anyone here has never accepted Jesus. So maybe you're thinking, Mario, I have never heard that this is actually what it means to follow Jesus. I've been, I've been believing that bait and switch. I've been lied to that it's all about me, 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 and God wants to make me happy and, and, and that God has, and that, that I can invite God, God to my plans and, and he can just tag along. Maybe this is a wonderful opportunity for you to accept the Jesus of the Bible. It is not a downer. It is the most beautiful message that I can step aside of myself and allow Jesus to live his plan for my life through me. Is there anyone around if we can close our eyes? And I just want to give you this invitation because God is calling you to be a disciple. God is calling you to be a disciple. Is there anyone here this morning who says, Mario, I have never made that decision. I have never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe telling yourself, I kind of did, but now I realize what the gospel is truly about. Would you raise your hand and give me a sign that this resonates with you? That this is the time when you want to make a declaration for Jesus? Second invitation. If something is holding you back, and you have that little secret room in your heart that you're telling yourself, this is off limit for Jesus. I want to remind you again, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to give it up to Jesus. Maybe it is a bitterness, unforgiveness. Maybe it's hurt that you don't want to reveal to anybody. Maybe there's some kind of a deep sin or struggle. Would you believe this morning that God loves you so much that he wants you to let him be the healer, 
be the overcomer that he wants to give you joy unspeakable joy is that you you can respond if you'd like say Mario yep I have an area I need to give up to Jesus I have this that I need to die for you can make that decision right now in this very moment I'm gonna pray in a moment and after we pray, my wife will go to that sign that says prayer. And you can go and talk to her and share with her what you would like her to pray for. Father God, we come to you this morning. And we realize that the hack for temptation, the really the heart of the matter for discipleship, is that I need to die for myself. Father God, I pray if anyone here needs to accept Jesus, that they would do it right here, right now. I'm going to lead in prayer if you'd like to repeat after me so that we give those people a chance. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins, and you rose from the dead on the third day. I repent of my sins and ask you for forgiveness. I believe that you are my Savior and that I believe in you. I, mean, I will inherit eternal life in Jesus' name. Father God, I also pray for those of us who struggle with something. Lord, help us to believe and to accept the fact that you are a good God and that there is a call upon us to follow you to the end. The discipleship is about dying for ourselves and living for you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that those of us who struggle with something, that we will give you this area of our lives, that we will take this journey on denial of ourselves and living for you and for your cause, and that we will make you a Lord of every area of our lives, that we will surrender under your Lordship and live in a life of a disciple of Jesus who follows your lead, who is part of your plan, Lord, we know that you will overcome, as Paul said, that we need to be dead to sin. The way we are dead to sin is to die for ourselves. Thank you for calling us to be your disciples. We don't take that lightly. And we know that we can lean on you on the journey to become the men and women of God you have called us.